Hello, and welcome to the Spirit of Time podcast. I'm your host, Greg, uh, solo today, and I'm here with a special guest for a tequila-based episode. Uh, we're going to beat half of the team of the Tequila Cabal and learn all about their journey. With that, welcome to the Spirit of Time, Dustin. Hey, Greg. How you doing? Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, man. We're, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, we've been working on this for a little while. And I've been following you guys now for 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 a short time, and and learning more about you and and uh, and and the brand and what your journey has been. And uh, it's fun to sit down now, I think, and and taste through with a couple expressions, and 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 just learn about what's motivating you guys to to kind of do what you're doing. Yeah, um, it's. Uh, can you pause it real quick? Sorry, and then just. So yeah, it's uh, it's been quite the journey. Um, can't believe it's coming up on two years almost that I've been involved with this uh, this amazing brand. Uh, super fortunate that you know I have a piece of ownership in it, um, and I, you know, I carry with that carry that with me super proudly every day. Uh, it's definitely something that you know I I don't take for granted. Um, you know, more times than not, um, when people when I tell people, you know, I don't ever really lead with that. Um, hey, I'm the owner of a tequila brand, like. It's just not who I am. Um, if it comes up in conversation, great. And people are just like super blown away. And like, I sometimes forget like, wow, it is pretty cool to be involved in something like this that, you know, like I, you know, I am only 33, but you know, I've been drinking spirits for the better part of half my life. Um, and so to be involved in something from the ground floor is, is, is really exciting. Uh, it comes with a lot of pressure and stress. Um, but, uh, we have good spirit to drink at the end of the day. You know, it's funny how many times have you probably heard somebody say to you, you know, especially after a long night of enjoying tequila or another spirit, they say, man, I just, I want to own, you know, a brand. And you probably like think to yourself, oh man, there's a lot that comes with this. There is, uh, we, it just seems like the headaches, um, get more intense and more grandiose as we grow and get bigger. Um, but you know, we have, we have a good team, uh, that helps us stay grounded and balanced and make good sound business decisions. Um, but really, honestly, the more we've grown, uh, the more we've expanded, um, the bigger the problems become and people, it's, I, I equate it similar to like owning a home, right? Cause I'm also in real estate and people are like, I currently live in a, you know, pretty modest one bedroom with me and my wife and our dog. And, you know, we love it. We're in Marina Del Rey. We're right on the water. And like, I sit on my couch sometimes and I'm just like, man, I really wish I was, you know, living in a, you know, like a really nice house down the street. But then you think, and it's like literally the bigger the house, the bigger the problems. It's the same thing. It's like you own a big house or you own a company that's expanding really fast. And your problems are only magnified because now you're, you know, instead of producing a thousand bottles a month, you're producing 20,000 bottles a month. And so much more can go wrong when you're doing 20 X what you were previously doing. It's kind of what uh, a little riff on what Biggie said, right? Mo tequila, more problems. I know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love Biggie. I think we were talking about that the other day when you were in the warehouse, uh, never get high on your own supply. That's, right. um, <laughs> That's the second but, time we talked about it. But, um, and, and typically don't drink that much of my own tequila. You know, as I mentioned the other day, I have a pretty sizable collection at home and I love supporting other brands and it's fun to go on the journey of agave spirits. 
Um, but since, you know, we are on this podcast talking about Cabal, uh, it would be like super sacrilegious to not be drinking my own tequila. So I definitely have Cabal in my glass right now. That's right. Um, that's right. So we always <laughs> but, do like yeah. a, we always do a pour check, uh, when we're on the show. And so let's just, let's jump into that. Dustin, what's in your glass right now? So right now I started, uh, I'll see if I'll work my way with you through the entire lineup. Uh, I don't know what your intentions are. But right now, I'm currently drinking our latest uh, batch of uh, Blanco. And this is currently Lot 162 uh, out of uh, Las Americas. For us, it's Lot uh, lot 5 of our Blanco. Uh, lot 162 is the, is the harvest number. Uh, so obviously, you know, um, non-1480 produces for more than uh, just us. And so every harvest... Um, Every harvest isn't just for one brand, although sometimes it can be. Uh, every harvest is for, uh, you know, maybe three, four, five brands. It depends on how big the harvest is and how much each brand is producing. And then once it goes into production, then each brand obviously has their own unique processes to, you know, baking times, fermentation, distillation, the whole nine yards. Um, but so this is lot 162 and lot five of our Blanco Um so yeah, that's currently in my glass. I probably poured more than I should have because um, <laughs> I always underestimate. Uh, I tend to like to drink out of champagne flutes um, mm-hmm. or even a wine glass if I don't have a champagne flute. We just got some new white wine glasses uh, and I didn't feel like busting out a champagne glass. And uh, I poured a wine's portion of <laughs> tequila. <in that> <laughs> <laughs> it's just habit. You saw the glass, you know, you just went, it's just habit. <laughs> I have, it's funny, I have about three different glasses here. I've just got a Veladora that I've also got the Blanco in, so salute. Salute. And then I've got a, a Riedel that I've let the extra Añejo sort of sit for a little while. I'm sure oh, we're nice. going to get into you, that You opened it up point. to breathe? You, you, told, me t- you told me nice. to. Nice. I love and, it. I love uh, it. Yeah, so I we're going to do people that follow instructions. We even yeah. have a tag. You know, we'll get to that in a little bit. But we even have a tag that, like, tells people about the XA, like, let it breathe a little bit. And I'm just curious, like. How many people actually read the tag and actually take our advice and like allowing you to experience our spirit in the way it should be experienced, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That sort of guidance. Um, let's back up though a little bit. So, you know, you said already, of course, we're, we're, you know, Cabal is coming out of, you know, non 1480 Las Americas. Um, but what is Cabal? Like, I, you know, we know it's a single estate tequila, right? But tell us like what it stands for, what it means to you before we get into any like hardcore production methods, which I also want to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Um, so cabal uh, in Spanish is the root word of caballero, which uh, means gentleman. Um, and in Spanish, when something's perfect, it's done just right uh, with exact intent, es cabal. And so when Everardo, our founder, my business partner, uh, ventured into uh, this business, uh, he was asked to import bulk tequila for a friend who produces an RTD company called Drinksmith. And he decided that if I was going to, if he was going to import bulk tequila, he might as well find a way to not just import bulk, but if he's going to go through the efforts of actually importing tequila, he wanted it to be done right. And so he started exploring the optionality and there really was only one option for him. And that was to land at 1480 because of the familial ties Mm -hmm. with his dad's sister marrying into the distillery and the things that really drew him to, you know, working in that uh, familial dynamic. Um, So 
when he was asking for bulk, he's like, well, I'm going to create my own brand and I want it to be authentic and remind me of what it was like to grow up half the time in Mexico and be around family and friends drinking tequila. And a lot of the impetus behind Cabal and what it represents is his vision to bring to life something that he saw changing in the industry, where it was a lot of celebrity influence, a lot of important people, girls on bars, taking shots, being reckless. And sure, if you drink and you drink a good spirit over enough time, over enough hours, getting a little buzz and having fun is a byproduct of drinking. But that's not why he created the brand. It wasn't to create a spirit to get drunk off of. Granted, that is a benefit of drinking enough good tequila. Um, but for him, it was really bringing it back to the roots of what he remembered. Um, and the reason why Cabal is super important and the name is super important as it relates to our our bottle, which our flagship bottle is in the shape of a horse head, is because we are single estate. We don't buy agave from anybody else. And it takes a level of patience within the culture to grow a crop for six years minimum and sometimes more to reach a level of maturity that you can actually then harvest and distill and ferment and create a beautiful spirit. It takes six years to before you can even get that crop ready for baking and distillation. The same goes for wire bottles in the shape of a horse head. It pays double meaning, one, to the national sport of Mexico, which is charreria. And that is similar to, I would say, like an American dressage. It's a very disciplined style of horse riding. It takes many years to raise these horses before they ready, they're ready to go to show and compete. Similar to the fact that it takes many years for us to raise our agave in order to create a great spirit. So in order to get a noble, a noble steed, you have to raise it right in order for it to perform well. In order to get a noble spirit, you have to raise the agave right in order to get to that point that it's ready to be consumed. So the, the last meaning behind all of this, and this is kind of like my own interpretation, and I think that's what's cool about Cabal is what it really means to you because he kind of explains this, Everardo, our founder, explains this a little differently, but in the same ethos is that for me, they don't, these, they don't, uh, train these horses to compete right after birth. It takes many years, sometimes six, seven years of maturity before these horses compete. Same for how we raise our agave, six to seven years. So when that horse is ready to compete and when our spirit is ready to be drank, escava. And so it's the, the, uh, the connection between raising a, a noble steed and a noble uh, spirit by way of how you treat and raise your agave to the point of distillation. Yeah, I think we'll get into the bottle because it is quite unique. I think it grabs people's attention. Um, I'm going to back up to what you said, which I thought was a really interesting point. And I've heard a lot of people say this, especially non-tequila drinkers or people who are maybe just haven't are, are unfamiliar. They'll say things like, oh, tequila does this to me, right? They parties too much. And they're not treating it, I think, like the uh, the noble spirit that you're describing and the people that really appreciate it, you know, how they, how they approach that. And so, you know, it's interesting because you still have a set of people who don't treat tequila the right way or think about it the right way, but you yeah, guys are obviously approaching it with the right intention. Look, I'll be the first to admit that 
you know, before I really got into this industry, I did have a pretty decent knowledge of spirits and wine and beer because I bartended uh, in my early 20s and went to bartending school and always just had an affinity for for fine spirits. Um, I'll be the first to tell you that when I was 18 years old, I wasn't sitting there sipping on, you know, a $70 Blanco. Um, you know, I was either, you know, mixing Cuervo gold and pineapple juice and, and, and ripping that pregame or, you know, taking shots of, I don't even know what we were taking shots of back then, but you know, it's, it's certainly, um, I think there's been a, I think there's been a little bit of a shift in how people consume spirits over the last couple of years. Um, mostly because we were forced to really slow down in life. Um, we were forced to be sedentary for quite a period of time. And so what you saw, uh, we followed trends and uh, industry reports quite heavily. And what we saw was a huge uptick in the uh, trend for buying high-end spirits. Like right. all the low-end stuff, all the wells, all the middle of the roads, a lot of those were losing market share and a lot of people. And that trend post-COVID, even though you know we're still in the middle of all this, is still is still trending positively. People are spending more money on higher end spirits than they ever have before. Um, And I think like for me, I don't know how other people look at it, but like, you know, if you love a $30 bottle of Blanco and you think it's the best, then I don't begrudge you. And I think you should totally enjoy it. And that's what you should drink. Um, But for me personally, an extra 10, 20 bucks, Sure, I think about it, but it doesn't change the landscape of my life or my day. Um, and I know that that extra 20 bucks, I'll be sitting there and I won't be thinking, damn it, I wish I bought the better tequila. Um, and so I think people are are realizing like, hey, I want to enjoy this, especially what's cool is like I get to sit here with you, right? You're you're an enthusiast. You've created a platform that allows brands like us to share our story. And so this is a place that, you know, hopefully people that are listening can pick up a thing or two about tequila that maybe they didn't know about. Um, And people, I know the millennial generation and the generation below us, Gen Z, they crave information way more than any other generations in the past. And they're going to do their research and it's the age of social media. So you you better be you better be forthright in your approach um, and, and honest in your dealings, because uh, if you're not, um, it's <laughs> the world of Twitter and Instagram and TikTok is pretty brutal right now. Yeah, there's there's some gotcha moments out there, you know, for folks who aren't kind of on the up and up. So that's a really good point, actually. I get a lot of questions and I think you probably do, too. Like, how do I get into tequila, right? Or where do I go? And sometimes it's easy to point people to very simple places, you know, maybe tequila matchmaker and start to learn and understand what gnomes are and and where brands are coming from. But what do you think is important to people who are newer, you know, to learn about whether it's, you know, who, what their gnome is that their bottle is coming from, what are traditional production techniques, like, you know, what, why do additives matter? What, 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 what would you tell somebody who's thinking to themselves right now, Wow, this sounds really interesting. Tequila Cabal. What how much how can I learn more like you were just describing? I think the first thing that blows people away that don't know anything about tequila 
is how long it takes to produce from start to finish. Um, a lot of people that come into tequila, they think it's like a wine or a vodka or a bourbon, which are annual crops that you're harvesting every single year. Um, and the impacts of weather um, and changing of conditions um, can really impact a crop over six years that it wouldn't necessarily impact in a one-year cycle with, you know, malted barley or wheat or any type of grape varietal. Sure, there are bad weather seasons that produce, I would say, you know, less than stellar for a standard of excellence for certain producers, but six years, a lot can go wrong. The first thing I think people should know is how long it takes to grow agave. And the reason why is because there's such an explosion in the industry that a lot of brands, I wouldn't say most because I don't have a specific number on, but a lot of brands are not waiting for full maturation of their agave to reach six years before harvest. And that's a really crucial thing to point out to people before they even get into what spirit are you coming from? I don't care what spirit you're coming from. I can give you a tequila that I think you would absolutely enjoy, but to understand why it's important to find brands that are practicing techniques that are sustainable is really important because if you focus on that, then you'll always land on a brand that's going to produce a pretty, pretty decent quality juice, whether it's the best of the best or not is obviously subjective. But the reason why six years is important is because a lot of brands and especially you know, some celebrity brands that come out and they know they're going to sell 100,000 cases their first year. I'm sorry, that takes millions of tons of agave to produce. And that might not be available all at once for that first lot. And so what do they do? They have to shop for their agave elsewhere. And there might not be agave ready to harvest at six years to meet their demand. So what do they do? They start plucking agave early, year three, year four. And the problem with that is, is that agave is a super, super high sugar crop. And so, you know, I don't want to get too technical here, but there is a level of, of uh, understanding of once the agave reaches a certain BRICS level, uh, sugar content, right, that, that indicates that it is time for harvest. These agaves at year three, year four, don't reach those, those sugar levels, um, not even close to the levels that they would be at year six. And so in order to mimic those last couple years of maturation, you're going to have to pressure cook it at high pressure, um, which we'll probably get into later. Um, and what that does, and this is the best analogy I can ever give someone, is that if I gave you ripe bananas, super ripe, like overripe, almost to the point of being brown and asked you to make banana bread, and then I asked you to make another banana bread, but the bananas were green super green, same ingredients, same everything, green bananas, very ripe bananas, and they both came out of the oven. The really ripe bananas would be naturally sweet. The banana bread would be naturally sweet. The green one would taste almost sour. And so in order for that banana bread to be as sweet as the other banana bread, what do you have to do? You have to douse it in sugars and extracts and stuff to allow it to artificially 
bring its level of sweetness up to the other banana bread. And that's what you're seeing regularly in the industry right now is brands are plucking early. They're pressure cooking. You're getting insane ethanol. No one's going to want to drink that. So how do you balance that out? You put additives in it. And unfortunately, that's legal. That's Just right. and and you know, I don't knock it. Um, there are brands that use that as well. Um, but the the thing that is is tough is how how regulated is it? How regulated is it? I know it's regulated, I know there's tolerances, I know there's percentages per per specific additive category, one percent per category, four percent for the entire bottle, but how regulated is it? There's a lot of brands out there. I've tried some tequila that I'm just like, I wouldn't even put this on pancakes. <laughs> That's a great point. And, and, you know, the tough part for people sometimes is, like you said, because there's a, a, a legal allowable amount that doesn't have to even really be disclosed, quite frankly. If you pick up a bottle and as long as it says 100% agave, you it's an uninformed person or somebody newer you wouldn't know holding it next to another 100% agave tequila bottle if there was a difference in the two. And that's that's kind of tough for people in the beginning to understand. And that's where I think like, you know, tequila matchmakers trying to do their, you know, doing their good job of, of certifying, you know, additive free uh, tequila. But that doesn't cover the, you know, the landscape of everything. I'm sitting with a couple of bottles next to me right now, uh, Fortaleza and Ocho, you know, they're not. I mean, I, I don't know if they've gone through the process. Hey, look who's here. <laughs> Can you hear us? I lost we, just we just have Everardo dropping in on us. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Hey. hey How are you doing, man? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, of course. Just as a quick refresher, um, Everardo had some last-minute travel, and we weren't sure, you know, if and, and how he'd be able to jump on with us. But we're we're really excited to have you on, man. So thank, thank you. you, man. I had to download a whole different browser. Apologize Sorry for that. <laughs> yeah, no worries, no worries. We were just yeah. talking about, uh, you know, we had a little bit of the of the origin story of Cabal. Uh, of course, you know, where it's made, some of the production techniques. We didn't get super heavy into it yet, uh, but we were just spending some time, Dustin and I, talking about why cabal is made the right way and how it's important for folks who are newer to the category to understand what that means and what is different from folks who maybe make it a different way maybe not traditional or maybe you know uh, americanize the palette yeah you know? he, I, was, I was telling him and i'll have you elaborate on this but basically he was like if someone is new to coming to tequila uh you know what was what would be the first thing that you would like educate them on or tell them about and i said before I even ask them what spirit they came from, the first thing I would tell them, because a lot of people don't know about this, is that it takes six years for agave to mature before you can actually harvest it. A lot of people are super surprised when I tell them that. They're like, wait, what? Six years to plant and mature agave? And I said, it's important to highlight that because of what's going on in the industry and the lack of transparency between brands that are doing it right and the ones that are ripping agave out year three, year four. And I use the banana bread analogy of green bananas versus super ripe bananas and making two banana breads that are identical, but one going to be naturally sweet and one that's going to be not sweet at all. And in order to bring it up to the level of sweetness, you got to put a bunch of 
you know, vanilla extracts and extra sugars in it to make it even remotely sweet. But even still then, all you're going to taste is the sugar, the fake sugars and not the natural sugars that you get from the bananas. Yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, perfectly fun. It's funny that, uh, uh, you know, I, I mentioned the, the banana analogy a couple of times. And I think that for me, my version is always like the, the milkshake, right? Like you can't really make a, a delicious banana milkshake if you use unripe bananas because of the same exact reason. And and I think, uh, yeah, I also get that reaction too. A lot of people don't know that you need six years for the agave to mature. And, and, and it's also less of, um, I mean, it's definitely very important to do it, like, I guess, uh, a way that honors, uh, you know, that the, the plant. But it, there's also a lot of um, things that are should tie back to the culture and the culture that gave back, that they gave birth to tequila in the first place. Uh, it is, I like to say, it is a very patient culture that is required to um, produce a product like that because you you can't have something that is so meticulous, takes six years without understanding um, the quality that is required for the for duration of those years. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, what, what ha what's happening a lot with the celebrity tequilas is that it's um, financially incentivizing a lot of producers, agricultural, it's the entire industry that is being sort of incentivized towards the wrong direction. So here I am, I'm a celebrity tequila um, and I'm buying at three and a half years because I have no idea because when I go to choose my tequila, I'm wearing big fat sunglasses and I don't know exactly what I'm tasting. Um, you, you know, so you, you, you don't really, you know, it, it's less, it's also less of being specifically Mexican and it just caring about how things are done right. You know, there's a brand, um, they use a master song. He lived out there, he worked out there and he understood the whole process and he, he gave a respect by sh showing how his skills, uh, could take place in, in the industry that required said skills, you know, and I thought that was very, very, very cool. But when you're buying and you're incentivizing towards the wrong direction, that same tequila that you really liked, whether it be our brand and another brand, that same tequila, it's going to make them more difficult for them to buy it. So now you're buying a $26 tequila. And now for the same processes and everything else, because of the industry moving in the wrong direction, I now have to spend more money to make my craft tequila. And I have to go and that same $40 tequila that was craft is now $60. I'm not making any more money. I'm just paying more to do it. And I'm, it's more out of pocket initially. And like, you know, if, if it takes six years to harvest, imagine the investment that is taking over six years, just taking that risk of saying, you know what, I'm going to do it the right way. And then if you age it in right, I'm going to age it in the right way. I'm going to get single barrel. I'm going to get the most out of the, the plant that the earth had to offer because I lended it so um so it, it's it's definitely and i don't think cabal is the only one there's definitely other brands that Dustin and i are big fans of uh and that we're learning from um and it it's just takes uh people like yourself to kind of spread the news um and kind of say hey you know what maybe i spent an extra 15 15 and really kind of have something that's <laughs> that's way we literally, uh, right away before you jumped on, we're talking. And that I feel better the next day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, it's interesting. I think, you know, maybe people in other spirits have a quicker 
a quicker path to appreciating something because maybe there's an age statement, right? Or a vintage. And when they look at a bottle of Blanco or maybe even an extra Añejo, because for instance, your extra Añejo took 10 years, right? To get into that bottle so someone could enjoy it. It's not clear to somebody unless they're sort of steeped in tequila, what that took and how long it took. You know, the age statements aren't quite as apparent to folks when they, when they don't understand how long the plant was in the ground. Yeah, there's definitely something there as far as um, that's probably on on us and, and our fault and, and branding and, and a lot of stuff because you need to also cater. You know, when someone looks at a product, it takes, what, 10 seconds for them to decide if they like it or not, or they're going to buy it or not. Like relatively 80% of that choice is made right away. Um, so you want to captivate and have them right away. And sometimes with having, that's why I think when our extra Nyeho bottle has been pretty successful um, because it does captivate, it does have that. And then because it's striking, you allow it to try to communicate something to you to change the way you do something. Um, so th that's where I actually differ. A lot of famous uh, tequilitos and, and, and whatnot, you know, are noted and saying, look, I'm not interested in making pretty bottles. I make great tequila. Sure, that's all fine and noble. And and uh, we pat you on the back and we, we salute you. But at the end of the day, the in, not, it's not just about you and your tequila. The entire industry, um, as you love it, will die if you don't, quote unquote, and I hate to say it, play the game the right way um for for us um the horse is actually very culturally significant but it's also significant a little bit to me um a lot of it to me but it's a um i always talk about the story about my grandma wearing heels till you know she passed away at 96 years old um she always cared about how she presented herself and she always cared about that her outside matched who she knew she was on the inside and that to me was very characteristic of, of my culture um you know everyone not necessarily you don't have to spend a lot but they dress well because they're conscientious that you don't get a second chance at a first impression you know and, and that's something that is very important and i was like you know what i think this also has to do with my culture and i think creating a beautiful bottle and investing an extra time uh a lot of money um and making sure that it was done right. And you see this horse that kind of talks about the culture that gave birth to a lot of horse culture in Mexico. Um, that also very patient because you have it takes years to raise a noble horse, just like it takes years to raise a noble spirit. And this presentation that says, you know what, I like that. And I want to like what I see and I want to like what I taste. Um, so it, it, it lends to that um, as far as captivating someone quick enough so that you pretty much gain the respect to say, hey, you know what, take 10 or 15 minutes because this tequila took 10 years to get to your house, you know? That's a great, you know, I, I'm drinking the Blanco right now. And um, what you said kind of struck me. And, and I think the three of us were talking about it the other day, you know, making something that is not only top tier quality and is going to completely satisfy the hardcore tequila enthusiast, while at the same time being accessible to the sort of general, you know, drinking, you know, the spirits community is not only really hard to do, but secondly, important to do, I think, for the, the brand success, but also just bringing new tequila drinkers in. And I think you guys have done that because Thank this you. Blanco has a ton of character. It's a beautiful pour, 
And at the same time, I could pour this for almost anybody who's who would identify maybe not as a, a hardcore tequila drinker. And I, I'm certain that they would be they would enjoy it. Yeah, that's um yeah. I I don't you know, I tell people we're very eager and enthusiastic to earn uh the title of favorite tequila of whoever may sip on our tequila. Um Dustin famously once said, This is the shittiest our tequila will be. Uh and I, I think that's a testament to our spirit. Um as a, as a group and as a team that we want to be better. And I think we've worked well as a team because we want that. Um, and the whole objective of mine when I first started all of this was one, communicate something about my culture, but also say, you know, you can sip something like the Blanco. That's the most kind of like, quote unquote, you know, uh, disrespected shot, added lime and all kinds of stuff and be like, you know what, actually I can sip this. Um, and also the hardcore enthusiast, it might not be their cup of tea because they say, you know what, I want a lot more of something. They want a lot more of spike. They're looking for something particular. Um, you know, I created Cabal to be something a bit more round, a little bit more elegant and a little bit more um, soft reminder of how powerful an agave can be instead of just like choosing to be right up front, right in the middle or right at the end. And I think we... We crescendo towards our, our um, flavor profile with our finish, but it's not so aggressive to kind of overtake. Uh, my personal, I like really, I like high proofs and I like much stronger sort of agave punches. But um, I think for the market, like you said, it's better to have something much more rounded and easier to access. You know, you guys enjoy lots of spirits, and I know you guys know people that enjoy all kinds, wines and beers and, and other things. Uh, I agree with you. You know, I ultimately like things overproof and, and some big, bold flavors. But I think as you become an experienced person, whether it's in wine or like I think about wine, and, and once you really kind of get your yourself sort of like settled, you start going for big, big, heavy, you know, bold wines. And then sometimes you kind of come back and you say, I just want to enjoy what's really good. And beer drinkers, sometimes yeah. they get in. They start diving all the way into the heavy IPAs, real like hop bombs, big Imperials. And then all of a sudden they kind of come down, they say, give me a sessionable, you know? And so at some point, don't just matter how, how um, experienced you are, you like to find yourself with something that you just think is really well done and well crafted and well. Yeah. We were definitely looking for the cornerstone of, uh, I think, I think for Cabal in particular, we were, it feels like, 10 days ago, it was yesterday, we were uh, visiting a couple of uh, new accounts. Uh, we popped into a place to grab lunch and we were just enjoying their bar. And we was speaking to this really lovely lady sitting to our right, oh. chatting with the bartender and the bar manager. And um, we were sampling them on it. And I turned to her and I said, would you like to try our tequila? And she goes, yeah, I'd love to. Um, and she self-admittedly said, you know, I don't typically drink tequila like i'll just uh, i'm more of a wine person and like whatever i'm kind of given um i'll, I'll drink and i'm not going to be like super picky like if they have something and i'm feeling tequila i'll just i'll just take it regardless of brand um and what she said after she tried it was which is what we hear probably more regularly than not it which starts with i don't normally drink tequila but I can sip this. Um, and that for someone who is a self-proclaimed non-tequila connoisseur 
is 98% of the U.S. market. And so I think that's what E was going for, where although a small portion of tequila drinkers are like the three of us speaking right now who can pick up notes and, you know, are agave nerds, a vast majority of the U.S. and world market isn't like that. And so if you tailor only to 2% of your market share to the connoisseurs specifically, and there are brands that I have in my collection that I know 98% of the market won't drink, um, you're closing yourself off to, I would say, future future growth opportunities, because this is just the beginning, right, for Cabal. And although our juice, I would say, is pretty accessible and palatable for almost every consumer, regardless if you're a tequila person or not, this is what our base will be, right? And from here, once we have gained respect and gained market share, then we will start to explore other avenues to draw in some of the consumers that are like, you know what, your juice is good, but it doesn't have that extra punch or that extra weird briny olive oil, you know, kind of vibe to it. Um, and so I think that's what we're really excited about is, you know, a lot about what Cabal represents is, you know, like one of our sayings that we mentioned to you the other day is Cabal is like class. It's never purchased. It's always earned. You don't just come out with a new tequila unless you are a celebrity and have 192 million followers on Instagram and just put your tequila on the table. And I'm like, I'm here. I'm the best. You have to earn your mark in the world, not only just in in life, uh, but in anything you do. You have to earn the respect of your peers. You have to earn the respect of your friends and your family and everybody around you. Um, and so for E, um, to come out with a tequila that was like way out of left field and funky, it would be a lot harder to create that 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 openness of hey come drink tequila with us and let let us share with you a little bit of history and try a traditionally made tequila that's done really well that's super complex but if you don't know a thing about tequila you're still going to enjoy it and so as we build that respect uh, and trust in our followers and the people that enjoy our spirit then we'll start branching out now we're working on some more unique single releases you know We'll do like, you know, one pallet release, maybe like 390 bottles. We're coming out with the Hoven and some other stuff. But before that, we had to really set a base for what it is our spirit is and what it represents. Because you can't just come out and be like, I'm Ken Griffey Jr. of tequila. Like, no, dude, you're a rookie. Like, you got to carry the bag from the dugout all the way to, you know, California from Cincinnati. Like, you got to earn it. And so that's what we're trying to do. So you guys, you talk a little bit about, you know, like you said, you're a little bit, you know, still developing as a brand, making sure you're getting people to understand who you are. But this isn't a new, this isn't new to you. You've been working on this for a long time. So can you talk a little bit about how long this project has been sort of in development? And then, you know, when you got to the market to where we are today? Yeah, um, I actually started around 2011, 2012, um, and I didn't get to market till late 2019. Um, Dustin joined around 2020 early, so it was a long time coming and it was a lot of, um, 
one, I didn't use a lawyer or anything to get um, any of my licenses for import and wholesale and distribution and whatnot. And, um, and also it was important to really establish why and where it was coming from and how it was being done and so on and so forth from, from the Blanco to the aged expressions going forward. Um, I was 23 years old and uh, I had a lot to learn in the beginning. I pretty much relied on, on Alvaro um, to help me. I knew where it needed to be. I knew what I, I knew then um, that as, you know, if I, if I made something super unique to what I liked, even then, I mean, I was, <laughs> because tequila is sort of so accessible, especially when I was uh, kind of growing up, I was been technically drinking tequila since, you know, 17, 18 years old uh, in Mexico. And I got, um, I was lucky to be exposed to good tequila from a young age. So when I did try that and not so good, I was like, wait, what is this? Like, I don't understand, like, what's going on? Um, and it was important because it's like, if you want to make a change and you want to take the market um, uh, with purchasing power in the right direction, you needed to have something. That's a lot of reason why I decided to do the horse. I knew that if I just had a regular bar bottle and I was financing myself, I'm just another tequila on the bar. I needed to have something that kind of stood out and, and both by brand, uh, something easy to say, you know, much more, much easier than Herradura. Um, for anybody to say, but, and, you know, and, and I, I, I wanted something to kind of showcase that, um, I almost came out with, uh, Mescal first actually. Um, cause I, I, I think, you know, I was a little bit uh, more ambitious in, in, in as far as of saying really wanted to change people's minds because I really was I almost said annoyed, but I, I was really kind of like, everyone's like Mescal is smoking, smoky is Mescal. And this is what it is. And it's like, yo, there's 30 different species of agave, arguably more if you count the subspecies. So imagine making a blend of all those things or one of, or, you know, those all these variables. There's thousands and thousands of variables. Like, I, I didn't like that it was just, that's what it was. And they were just so stuck in their ways. And I was like, you know what? I want, I, there's this mescal that I think we could come up with. But I knew the market share for, um, Tequila was better. I knew the volume could be better, and I knew, I knew that I could probably support mezcal down the line. And that's kind of where we are now. Uh, we're a couple of months out, and I know you got to try the mezcal. Um, and that's the kind of way it kind of brought about. It was a lot of thought into who we are um, and as a brand, and I think that's the only way um, we could have worked. I could have found someone like Dustin and worked together and um, have him committed to the idea of Cabal and not just him and, and, and you know, the other uh, team members and other people about it is it's, I created something that I, I feel like uh, wasn't really created by me. I just identified something that was universal in all of us that we all kind of are chasing in one way or another is, is, is having value in the time we spent doing something. Um, I think that's why it took that long. And that's the whole processes of, of the years that it really took to, to kind of nail it down. Um, you know, in the beginning, I didn't use any kind of investors or anything like that. Um, you know, even later on, it's mostly friends and family. Um, and it, you know, at one point I was driving DoorDash to, to pay for bottles of glass. So it was just kind of, you know, um, not giving up on the idea that it needed to be done right, but also knowing 
being realistic about the business and the market. So we're, we're all in LA and I'm, you guys grew up around Los Angeles as well. Um, and so I'm curious how you guys met, but I also know that you spend a lot of time growing up and even now too in Jalisco. So I'm just curious, you know, how you guys came together, where you spend your time. The business is located in LA uh, as well, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, the, uh, there's, there's a saying in, in, uh, I'm Jewish and there's a saying in Judaism that's, uh, it's one word and it says Besheret. And in the Jewish religion, Besheret means quote unquote, it's meant to be, um, I own a real estate company in LA, um, still do real estate. Um, but most of, most of my time in terms of day-to-day business development um, and, and operations uh, is, is focused on Cabal's growth right now, uh, and rightfully so, because we have a lot going on. But E and I met, um, and it was Bashar. Uh I was visiting a client in, in Los Angeles that I had uh, helped a real estate transaction with, and he was uh, a member. Uh, it's a private car club, like Motor Enthusiast Club. It's like a WeWork meets a Soho house meets a Cars and Coffee type of thing. Really cool space. And he happened to be pulling up on his motorcycle the same time that I decided that I was going to pop in and say hi to my client at his newly opened car club in Marina Del Rey. We just hit it off. Um, loved the bike that he was riding. We started talking outside, moved the conver- conversation inside, started talking about what each other uh, did and he showed me his brand deck. Um, and it was early in 2019. He's like, I'm getting ready to go to market pretty soon. And he was telling me about his tequila brand and all that. And we just kept in touch and, uh, always, uh, you know, checked in on each other and late 19, uh, he launched and started penetrating the LA market all on his own. Uh, when I met him and he was like, yeah, I'm starting a tequila company. And, you know, I'm also in the garment industry and I have my own, uh, my own leather line and, and clothing line. I was like, damn, this is a really cool, like creative spirit. And just, I could just tell that he cared, he cared more about, more about life than most. Um, and I could just tell that like just mediocrity just was not acceptable for him. I could just, I could just feel it. Um, about a, I would say about a year went by. Uh, and then we were unfortunately stuck in the middle of pandemic and, Finally got to try his tequila uh, at our warehouse, um, and I looked at him, and we were close enough friends that I could ask him some serious questions about, you know, the direction of the business, and you know what he had done up to this point, and 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 where he needed help, and being a person that that knows that, you know. You can't get to certain levels in life uh, on your own. Um, he was honest with me. Uh, I think somebody that, you know, that was really stubborn in the fact that they think that they could do it all by themselves might have said, you know, I don't need any help. Um, But, you know, I think I think he was super mature in the fact that he knew that he needed to bring people in around him that understood business, that understood how to build relationships and strategic partnerships and scale a brand, not just from one aspect of it. So I looked at him and I said, give me one opportunity to build a strategic management team around you. Uh, And I was fortunate enough that he gave me the opportunity. He brought in a couple of my closest friends, uh, not because they were my closest friends, but because they were the right fit for the roles that we were trying to uh, fill 
for our brand. Um, but I tried uh, Cabal for the first time coming up on two years ago now, but me and he had been talking about potentially working together even before that, before I even tried it. But then when I tried it, I was like, yeah, I need to be involved in this. <laughs> like, I want to have this in my house and make this uh, in everybody else's house too. So yeah, the rest is history. It's been about a couple years. Obviously, it took some time. Uh, we regrouped a lot. We were in the middle of COVID. LA was super shut down. Like They were like checking your temperature to even like go into your own house. Um, and we got to work, um, and it's been, it's been a fun journey, uh, the last like year and a half plus that we've been officially a team. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's even predated that a little bit before and, uh, it's been really fun. Um, it's crazy to think that E and I have spent our entire lives only a few miles apart, um, and never met. And then the world just, you know besheritly put us together um and it's crazy uh how much natural camaraderie we have uh between the two of us uh it's really weird how frequently we look at each other and have the identical thought without any pretext um and uh we i think we balance each other really well we have similar but also very different personalities that complement each other, and we really push each other to be the best that we can be. Um, and I think our whole team does that. Um, you know, we don't we don't let stuff fall through the cracks. Um, and I think that's a, just a testament to the direction in which we want our brand to go, and not ever settling for anything less than what we believe to be excellence, which is Cabal. So. <clears throat> Let's talk about the range of expressions. Dustin, you and I poured the Blanco earlier. I have the Reposado in front of me. Um, walk us through, walk us through, you know, what the full, you know, portfolio is at the moment, and then maybe touch on on the Reposado uh, and some of the the details. Which batch one. does he have? He has, uh, he has the four month Repo okay. Mini. So yeah, this is. Um, this is a part of the, um, we, we really wanted to make an emphasis as well as because our Blanco, uh, we had so much love and respect for it. You know, we wanted to choose a barrel program that I think complemented it well. And I'm, I'm a big fan of barrel blending. Um, those are Buffalo Trace, Woodford Reserve, and Old Forester barrels. Um, and they're blended. Uh, we have that for Blanco and Añejo, uh, respectively. And... Um, you know, we, we used to have eight months, um, but moving into certain barrel barrels, we realized, uh, you know, you don't need that much time to really emphasize both the barrel and the agave into it. Um, so there's a lot of agave in there, but there's also um, a really nice, at least for me, a really nice sort of wood finish um, that's very true. Um, it's not too aggressive, but it's also has a lot of, I think, roundness to it and has a long finish. Um, a lot of people, um, it, when we go to restaurants and people that know, like I've had some people right away call off certain, like can tell me pretty much how long it's been barrel, what type of like, you know, they're very good at that. And it's, and um, I love it. Um, 
and it's for that reason and because I know that it adheres uh, to the palates of others for that reason that I think it's very important to emphasize the hardest thing to get right is the Blanco, you know. Uh, so we wanted the barrel program to complement the qualities of a Blanco tequila, which is the what tequila really is. You know, a lot of sometimes even we find people like, okay, so how do you make a repo? And I'm like, well, actually, it just means rested in a barrel. Um, and actually, all tequila used to be like that because there was no polyurethane or any type of plastics in Mexico. So what you did was, oh, there's a barrel. That's the only thing that'll hold this much stuff because batches and distillations were pretty big. You couldn't just do it like a micro batch. You know, you had to do several gallons, uh, even at the smallest stills. So you would put it in a barrel and then they would serve it. And then after a couple of months, it was, they would still be serving and they wouldn't be done with the barrel, but it'd be a different color. Um, so actually, most tequila was not even Blanco way, way back when, um, unless you were... You know, you stored it in, in glass and stuff like that, which they did too. But, I mean, that's a whole different story. But I think the emphasis was on the plant and, and the base spirit. Um, and those people that have tried it in those restaurants can always tell from the Blanco to the Repo to the Ñejo to the Extra Ñejo, the, the weight and the sort of um, mouthfeel. And there's an underlying sort of natural vanilla, I think, I know I know it comes from the very mature agave that's there. Um, so none of the characteristics that make this tequila, I think, special because of the people that are involved with it and the time it took and invested into the ground. It doesn't leave at any point in any of the expressions. I think repos become a, a. It's always been. I like the whole range, you know, of tequilas. I always trend toward blanco myself, like a yeah. lot of folks. But repo, well done repos are really rare, because it's hard to find that point that you guys found, where it's really still all the agave is coming through. It's not peeking through. You're not catching just a glimpse of it. It's really still strong and forward. But at the same time, you're getting those light barrel influences that just make it a different a slightly different, um, you know, expression of the Blanco in a good way. And so repos done well are special and, um, and you don't come across them, you know, often. For me, I think it's the most versatile if done right. Um, it's the only, it's the only expression that we produce that I'll drink neat. I'll put it on the rocks or I'll make a cocktail with it. Um, I won't certainly mix our añejo at all zero percent chance and i'll never throw it on a rock um and i typically you know when we introduce people to our tequila drink it however you want um, but we want them to experience it at first in its purest form which is room temperature neat after that you want to put it on a big rock and you think our tequila is the best in the world i won't look twice at you again i'll just be like yeah we do we have the best tequila in the world but for me personally, I think the repo is the most versatile. Uh, it allows you the most flexibility. It's not too far aged into the Añejo category where you start to really lose some of those agave notes, both on the nose and the palate. Um, and you really do get the best of both worlds. Um, and you can make anything from palomas and margaritas with a repo because it's not too sweet yet and the barrel influence hasn't really overpowered it and the agave is still there all the way to mexican old-fashioned or oaxacan old-fashioned 
or even a last word, which is a spin on a drink that's made with gin. Uh, it's a super versatile uh, spirit. Um, but I will warn people that are listening that not all reposados fall into this category of being able to be both sippable and make elegant cocktails. Um, I would say the ones that will fit this mold are the ones that are artisanally made. You grab a repo that has a ton of additives and make an old fashioned, it's going to taste like a sugar cup. Um, you need natural elements in these cocktails. You need the natural wood. You need the natural agave flavor. You need those natural spices, sometimes those baking spices that come through to be present. Otherwise, if it's an additive-based juice or one that's too sweet or even um, over-oaked, there's a a balance that that doesn't exist there. Um, So the Repo, at least for me and Everardo, is super, super versatile. Uh, And I think it's the easiest transition. Uh, for people that are bourbon drinkers, because, you know, it's not, I have them try the repo first and then move them into the more. And then they actually get them to circle back around to the Blanco at the end. And their palate is warmed up a little bit, right? You start them immediately with the Blanco from a bourbon drinker and they're like, ah, but you, you start them with something that's more of an easier transition and then reverse work them back to the Blanco. And by the time they get that, their palate's now ready to drink tequila. And they're like, wait, Hold on a second. And so it's really cool to see that um, that excitement when people are like, wait a second, I only drank tequila, you know, 20 years ago when I was in college. And I was like, well, that really wasn't tequila. It's my favorite thing when somebody finally, you've been talking to somebody for a long time and they sit and they, you get them started on the aged tequilas and they finally say, I'm, I'm a Blanco person or, you know, you've brought them all the yeah. way. And that's just, a, and then they fully appreciate the line for what it is, not because it's aged or because, you know. Yeah. And I think that's when you really appreciate uh, the, the beginning process, which is our intent the whole way. You know, I, I, like Dustin said, I always tell people that to me, it's neither here nor there as far as the repo goes. And where the, the cost of agave and the cost of um, is spiking and the cost of keeping in a barrel, the opportunity cost was driving the prices of more in spirits. Reposado as an age spirit, I think is going to be um, towards the end of the year, more and more and more desirable because you only need a couple months do it right you know the, you will have that sort of direction of age tequila without you know having to spend all that much more i'm right now if you if you find cabal or not if you find an añejo or xa that it, you really like i would buy it right now and i'd buy a you know a lot of uh, because at least you know i i just i go to mexico really often I was raised half the time there. I know what the cost per kilo is. I know what the, I know what everything's, I know other brand owners, I know distillery owners and I've talked to them and everyone's, we're all kind of saying the same thing. Um, even Felipe Camarena, uh, the master himself, he talked about, he's like, what are we going toward a $99 Blanco? And it's kind of what I was getting to earlier, but he also famously said, I only make good tequila. I don't care what the bottle's in. It's like, look, man, if you're primarily if your market shirts is not Mexico, it is in the US, you kind of need to learn how the consumer consumes, get them to be your friend and say, hey, you know what? How about this? You know, instead of, I think uh, a lot of 
the, the maestros and, and much, much, much respect to them. They, they're kind of stuck in their ways of if I do right, then everything will be right. And it's like, no, you, you kind of have to work in, in, in a direction. Um, you know, so I think Reposado is going to be the, the clutch, you know, key player here. Uh, and I do like to call it the Goldilocks. You know, it's not too cold, not too hot. It's just right. You know, and it really kind of plays into a kind of a bunch of range. And I think nailing it down right and really exploding into the mixology, um, you know, doing sours, last words and all kinds of stuff, even though I drink it neat. Um, you know, I think going into all those types of cocktails that we know are great. You have a great spirit and you put it back to back to a, a tequila that has additives and you give people to try it you know, more than more often than not, they're going to choose the other one because it's just that, you know, what's real and what is it, you know, shifting gears into the Añejo. Now that we've talked a little bit about the repo, um, I've got the Añejo in front of me as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, Añejo is, uh, you know, at some point we did 18 months, um, which I really liked. Uh, we, we were using a bit, uh, the first couple batches we used, primarily um, wild turkey um, barrels. Um, I think they complemented the, the tequila really well. And, uh, you know, when I was talking to Alvaro, um, he pretty much guided the entire age process in the beginning. Um, I just I kind of directed the, the Blanco and I knew where I wanted to be. And he's like, look, this is what we need to do uh, for the age spirits. And I was like, yes, sir. Like, tell me why and let's do it. Um, so he takes most of the credit for that. I think now, um, you know, the, the Blanco, the profile was pretty much set up when I was 23 years old. Um, you know, it's, I'm 33 now and, and, uh, I have a team and I have people that know what they're drinking too. So now as a team, we're coming up with a, a profile. I'm actually going to Mexico and, um, kind of revisiting the profile a little bit, uh, tweaking some of it from a lot of the knowledge that, uh, I've learned. Um, and that I've absorbed and kind of reapplying it into it. Uh, for Dustin's wedding, we actually did a single uh, release barrel for, um, I decided to put no char, just barrel. It was a half barrel and that was per chance. He told me he had it and I was like, let's try it. Um, and we barrel, we, you know, we put it in the barrel at 40%. Um, which I like a lot of it, um, and we'll be doing different versions of that. Um, I might explore doing um, with the Añejo and extra Añejo barreling water separately. So we have barrel water sort of to dilute from it um, versus just like a cold thing that has no expression. Like I think it shocks it, and I think that's where you get spikes. But uh, the Añejo is uh, that one that you have is 14 months. Um, and that is pretty much all it really needed. Uh, that is, uh, what batch did you give them? Uh, the, that mini is oh, okay. 14 months. So that is the same thing as, uh, as Buffalo Trace, Woodford Reserve, and Old Forester. Um, we kept a, a portion of it for Añejo, and that was that was it. Um, so it's just continuing on what you tasted in the repo, just adding more butterscotch, more uh, wood, and uh, more of a malty kind of feel. 
you know, a little bit of a little bit of orange yeah. peel on that yeah. one. Mm-hmm. A little bit of orange peel. Um, it's nice. I still get I still get agave that shines through on the front end and the back end. Uh, what I notice for uh, some of the aged spirits, not just Cabal, is as as it is aged longer, the agave tends to show up in the first third and the third third. Um, you know, typically in a Blanco, the agave is the entire way, um, you know, with, with reposados, it really is there present all the way through. And then the Añejo, it kind of loses it a little bit sometimes in the mid palate. Um, but it definitely is still present front end and back end. Um, that batch in particular that you're drinking, um, was kind of the sweet spot for us. It was kind of the sweet spot for us. Um, you know, you can push an Añejo all the way to three years. We don't really believe in, you know, the barrel does what it's going to do. And so if you have a good Blanco, uh, look at some, you know, look at a brand like Ocho. They believe in exhausted barrel use and they come out with repos that are two, three months old and Añejos that are 12 months and extra Añejos that are literally eight seconds after three years. Um, no, but, uh, you know, there's there's brands that, that really want to keep that agave present in the front of the profile. Um, and, you know, I would almost be afraid to to drink our repo at 11 months. It would pretty much drink more like an Añejo than a lot of brands are on the market right now. And so we're still playing around. We're still trying to find that that sweet spot. Um, you know, but the cool thing is with the agave spirits is is that. It's very similar to wine in that, you know, harvest to harvest terroir is super, super uh, impactful on, you know, microclimates and regions and the growing conditions. And and I don't care if you produce the exact same way, you bake the exact same way, you distill the same, you ferment the same. If you are pulling agave from the same single estate, but you're 30, 40, 50, 100 miles away, and now you're harvesting agave that's on the side of the hill as opposed to in the valley floor, which is getting insane heat. Like it's it's literally impossible to produce the same juice back to back. But if your processes are the same, that's why people collect tequila like they do wine is that lot to lot, it's going to have the same base quality. It's going to be cabal, but it might take you on a different profile journey, right? Like this batch that I'm currently drinking, uh, we have in our uh, ancestral bottle, which I believe is the one that I think I gave you. I mean, for me personally, I get a huge vanilla punch mid palate. My previous lots, I didn't get as much of that punch. I got more, I got a little bit more uh, citrus and pepper. And this one, this one is way creamier to me and it's got a huge punch of vanilla in the middle. It's the same single estate agave. It's just harvested from a different region, the exact same processes, and you get a not a different spirit, but a different expression of that same spirit. And that's yeah. what's cool about it. I had the the pleasure of enjoying both of those side by side with you guys oh, yeah. the other day. And um, I just made that comment that, you know, the lot variance is special. And that's what makes it even more fun to collect, you know, the bottles, you know, throughout a course of, you know, several years. Yeah, and I think the the entire so industry, been... as far as collecting, um, it, it's been really kind of cool, um, and we've definitely taken part of that. Yeah, you, know? <laughs> you know, we've 
We yeah, we, we, we find something and I'm like, you know, today I actually just found a tequila that um, uh, David Cyril made and, um, you know, the guy, he bought it. It's so funny. He bought it for $45. He was pouring it at $13. I'm here in New York. He's pouring it for $13. And then he got to the last bottle and he's like, oh, shit, I'm not pouring it anymore. I'm not selling it. Someone came in, offered him $2,000 for it. And he's like, no. You know, and it's like, it's just so funny how it's like, oh, wait, like, actually, I do want to keep this. I do want to, like, you add all this value to it. Because why? Because exactly what you said, you cannot recreate all those elements that made everything in that bottle possible. Um, it's a moment in time. Yeah. Each bottle is a moment Yeah, and in when time. you cut down the processes, you cut down the plants age, you, you cut down um, the cooking, if you use a diffuser and stuff like that you can get a way more consistent liquid. I won't say tequila. You can get a way more consistent <laughs> liquid, but you won't ever get that. Like no one will ever be like, oh my God, I won't sell this for you for $2,000 because I want to keep this because I know how special it is. You you, you can't get that. Uh, and, 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 and I think that's, for how short life is, I think something like that is very, very precious. Um, and something like that is very, very cool. Uh, to be a part of. Speaking of, you know, taking that moment, you know, appreciating what's in the glass. Um, you guys were kind enough to send over as well the extra añejo in the Ooh. matte black, you know, finish on the on the on the caba caballero. Uh, tell me, tell me about this. Tell me, you know, what what people should be looking out for and why this is so special. Uh, yeah, go ahead. So, um, the extra añejo is super special uh not just for us but like you mentioned a few minutes ago um if you have your favorite extra añejos and añejos and you can still get them get them and get them in droves um, because obviously the opportunity cost of leaving something in the barrel and 10 years post planting a bulb of agave um, to reach market um, the opportunity cost is pretty high where you could turn over effectively uh, a batch of blanco and in one year have six lots of reposado if you're producing a two-month repo. Um, this extra añejo is particularly special for our brand um, because we didn't produce a lot of it. Um, we are bringing a little bit more over that we had uh, left in barrels. We decided uh, to leave in barrels um, past añejo. Uh, we originally brought over 1,301 bottles. That was the original allocation that we decided to bring over uh, early last year. Uh, we still have a small amount of that allocation left, and that's because we have released them uh, timely throughout the year. Um, if we were to just sell them all now, they would be gone in a week. And, you know, that's just not really... We want... We want the world to experience this spirit over time. And we want, look, at the end of the day, we're selling it for $299 on our website. Which, by the way, uh, we don't, we don't to... just want to throw that out there because people, we, we don't, someone else is making a big portion of that margin, by the way. Like we have to wholesale it to somebody right. and then they upsell right. it for that. Um, right. The triple, the triple tier system is really complicated right. for folks who right. are in the business. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you're thinking we're making $299. We're making fractions of that $299. But the reason why I make 
uh, a point about that is sure there are tequilas extra añejos that are significantly more expensive than ours and there are extra añejos that are significantly less than ours but at the end of the day we are a new brand and we are asking the consumer to spend 300 dollars on a bottle of liquor that's not cheap i don't think that's cheap uh, uh most of america doesn't think that's cheap and the rest of the world mostly doesn't think that's cheap either and so for us, it was really important that as we release these extra añejos, that we release them timely so that the people that actually care about what's in that bottle have an opportunity to appreciate it so that it's not like, you know, a winter blend that comes and goes in a month and then it's gone and then you're like, ah, scrambling. Um, and we want people to enjoy it over time. There's a lot of people that haven't ever experienced our brand yet. And so a year down the line, if we don't have extra añejo in our warehouse to sell them, we're losing an opportunity to potentially gain a new customer, a new fan of our tequila, because maybe they only gravitate to extra añejos. Uh, not to say that our other expressions aren't, you know, welcoming them in and allowing them to do it. But this extra añejo, as mentioned earlier, it's 10 plus years to get to your bottle. Minimum six years harvest. Then you have the processes, you know, of baking, fermentation, and distillation. And then this batch in particular is three and a half years. That uh, that bottle that you have in your hand right now was bottled a year ago. So 11 years ago is when those agaves were planted that you're drinking that tequila right now. Um, and again, I just want to highlight that it's only three and a half years. You're seeing a huge craze, and I think it's going to start to slow down with the pressures of agave and and the opportunity cost of keeping stuff in a barrel. I got, I don't know, 10 tequilas in my cabinet right now that are aged longer than five years. Ours is three and a half, and I would put that up against any tequila, any extra añejo that's on the market today. And that's what you get when you put premium Blanco in premium barrels. You don't need to overage it. I mean, you're probably, have you taken a sip of it yet? I have. It's, it's, it's deep. It is rich. Um, I get a little bit of cherry and chocolate on it. Um, and it is, I mean, it's, uh, it's something you sit with and you take, and you take it in and you're just dissecting it the entire time that you're, that, that you're either nosing it or when it's, you know, yeah. Did you, uh, did you, how long did you let it quote unquote breathe? He poured it before we started our call. It's perfect right now. I told Everardo, I told Dustin, I followed directions, man. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. as, as uh, yeah. we have this quote by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, patience is bitter, but the reward is sweet. Um, we do tell people to, you know, wait 15 minutes. And right now, I don't know any brand that's doing that. Um, and uh, I know we're not the only brand that uh, can benefit from that time, you know, re- given to it. Um, and, and it's... It, you know, the, the, the extra, like, sometimes people really gravitate towards, like, the five-year plus and, and all that stuff. And it's just like, okay, what are you really getting here? How much agave are you getting here? Uh, a barrel does what a barrel does, right? Um, and at that point, if I were to even just, you know, a very kind of pragmatic thinking, I'm, okay, so what, of what percentage of the flavor profile that I just put in my mouth is that, affected by the wood okay 60 percent. okay so then i'm drinking 60 percent of whatever i think uh the wood is doing to it uh what other spirits use that it's it, to me i'm almost like dude i might as well almost drink a better a bourbon like then i don't want to drink a tequila you want to drink 
a weird tasting bourbon. Okay, cool. Then grab, you know, it's just, it's almost like um, if I'm going to dedicate to something, I'm going to dedicate to like the proper way of it. Uh, a good rye, a good bourbon, uh, a good scotch. Great. Um, and, you know, what you said is is key. Like, that's why I like drinking it neat. Everything is just you sit with it, it whether it's my Blanco or other Blancos, you sit with it and you're just kind of sitting there experiencing, letting it talk to you. And it's it's not just like a, it's not everything to say. It really is, man. When people really give it a, a chance to sit with it and be patient, slow things down, turn off the notifications on, on all your Instagrams and stuff like that. And you kind of like just be with it and let it happen as it's happening. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to experience. And I think uh, not just with tequila, but with all spirits and with tequila, because it's so complex and because it has a huge range of flavors, it's most enjoyable. And this extra Nieco, I hardly ever drink, um, you know, yeah, never. pretty much almost never, maybe like three, four times a year, if that. Um, and when I do, it's always like very, very slow. I like to really slow things down and really kind of take a moment with it. Um, and yeah, just like you said, talk to it and, um, and you start getting different. Every sip is like something else, right? Or what are you getting from it? Yeah. I, I was pulling a little bit of like cherry notes, you know, a little bit of, you know, some dark chocolate. You know, it's it's rich and decadent without being cloying. It's just a beautiful, you know, special occasion, um, special occasion sip that you would want to just really continue to think through as you're sipping it. You're still drinking tequila, though, right? That's, That's the right. beauty of it. Like I got to Everado's point, right? Yeah. It's still tequila. It's still like this is tequila. I have a bottle in my collection right now. Phenomenal brand. It's a 10-year single barrel. It's a borderline not tequila anymore. Which one? It's arguably uh, Ray Soul, 10-year anniversary. It's a phenomenal tequila. It's worth every penny from the bottle to the juice inside. It is a beautiful spirit. Uh, if you drank that back to back with our extra Nieho, you would be like, these are two different spirits. These are two different distillates, but they're not. Um, and that's where, you know, our emphasis, I think, look, I, I, I don't want to make any predictions of what our brand's going to do, uh, because I'm sure we'll do something way out of left field at some point And just like, you know, maybe release a 10 year down the line and only do like a hundred bottles. But I know we're going to stay really true to our core and to what we believe in to produce the best tequila possible. You won't ever consistently seeing us over over barreling our juice. Our repos will always be in the four to eight month range. Our añejos will always be in the 13 to 18 month range. And our XAs will probably never push an XA past five years. If we do, it'll be like a super limited release like Maybe yeah, super We forgot about um, the barrel. We kind of accidentally hit it. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! We just found this one. Let's let's share yeah. it now because it's probably pretty special and unique. 
What's up? Um, and, and it's from 1911. <laughs> <laughs> I know you didn't want to, you know, prognosticate on on what's, you know, what the future holds, but what what should we be looking for from Cabal? You know, what's going to be happening for you guys in the future? You know, as you look forward for the next, you know, 12 months, 20 so we'll months, split you know? this. I'll, I'll mention some parts, and I'll let Dustin mention the other parts. Uh, which you know, he's very eager for because he put in some work into some of these uh, releases that we're coming out with. Um, I'm really excited for our mezcal. Uh, as I mentioned to you before, I arguably was working on mezcal um, before or at the same time that I was working on tequila. Um, and I was looking to make it a certain way uh, and it wasn't available um, until I found a family that uh, was willing to. And, um, you know, upon trying it, um, actually done and done by someone that knew what they were doing before it was just a you know, sort of a theory to me and my own self. Uh, and it, it, I, I freaking loved it. Oh, and you got to try it. Uh, I did. So tell people where, you know, what kind of agave are we well, talking about here? We're what, talking what about, uh, 10 plus year agave Salmiana, um, from San Luis Potosi, which is a sleeping giant. Um, and more and more actually here in New York, I was talking to the bar owner. He's like, you know what? More people are asking me about San Luis Potosi mezcal. I'm like, look, man, I, I've been saying this for kind of a, a long time. Like, uh, there's nine different, there's 10 now different uh, denominations of origin for mezcal. And somebody's put the sea um, because of the land there and a lot of the agave is producing some great, great spirits. And Salmiana, uh, which is a little bit more prevalent there, is my favorite sort of like alternate of the Weber uh, agave. Uh, there's other ones that I, I really like too. Kerensky and Angustifolia and um, and some Tobalas. But I think Salmiana's, because I like, you know, I, I grew up liking spicy food. And to me, there's a lot of like actual pepper on it. Like it's like chili almost in it. And, and, I, and not just like actual spicy food. I mean, like my mom would make a puree of habanero and that would be like, as like that, that's, that, that was like my baseline. So when I go some places and they're like, oh, this is spicy. I'm like, okay, no. Um, but I guess that's, that's why I like some, you, know. you have to be careful with Mexican. Okay. <laughs> I've made a few mistakes. <laughs> Stepped into a couple landmines. Yeah, like, oh, he's eating it really easily. I'm like, oh, you don't And landmine. You mean a landmine in your mouth. <laughs> like you can't ask me, you know, my girlfriend, she asked me, is this spicy? She now, now knows not to ask me that because I'm like, look, I'll tell you no, and you'll be really mad at me because, <laughs> you know. I'm not a good yeah. reference point. So, I, and something to be honest to me, or like a pepper, like it's a, it's very, um, I, I love that flavor. For some reason, I just really love it. And I wanted something. And I was like, it's so different than your espadines that most people know is smoky. And they either, there's two types of people that we run into. They either hate mezcal or they're like, that's it. That, that, that's my jam. Because it's smoky. But I'm like, there's so much more out there. There's so much more. And when I have a story I love to tell when I first brought back the spirit um, and before I gave actually Dustin to try it. Uh, and I I gave it to a friend. Um, she didn't really like tequila. She didn't really like um, mezcals. She was like more into mezcals a little bit. But she was tasting it. And then she's like, you know, what's this? Um, and I'm like, oh, just keep trying it. And then she like finished it. And she's like, wow, that's 
I've never tasted anything like that before. Like that's that's super different. What is that? And I'm like, that's mezcal. And she's like, wait, that's mezcal. I'm like, yeah, that's mezcal. And she's like, no way. And I'm like, also was 55% alcohol. And she's like, what? The f-? Like she couldn't she couldn't believe it. But I think because because the plant has arguably three to five times less sugar than the the Weber, you need more of it. Um, and I think that's why you can go pretty hot with it. Um, and not have so much of an aggressive attack on your palate. Um, obviously, it's going to be hot. And we also ferment it uh, with with a, a special flower leaf. So we, we are going to be releasing at a 55%, you know. And we talked about it. I'm like, you know what? Take it or leave it. Like, it's just, it's too far. Like, I, I like it too much. And I know I should be more conscientious of the market, maybe. But I was like, you know what? No, I'm kind of putting my foot down on this one. That's like, it's, I think it's too good at 55. Um, no, I think you're right. There's too many 42% Espadines in the yeah. world right now. And I think what we need is 55% Salmianas yeah. <laughs> like, and other things. I, I really, well, you even guess. the average consumer will, will be into it. I really do think that. Yeah. I mean, you did, Greg, you were, you know, we both have, probably been through our fair share of good spirits and you you guess right around the same percentage and I guess when he blind taste tested me on it I was like 44 to 46 and you said right about the same thing yeah. and then he told me 55 and I was like this is the most elegant 55% spirit I've ever tried in my entire life like it doesn't it drinks arguably you could probably lie to someone and say it's like 42%, 43% and get away with it. Yeah, if you didn't want to spook them, you know, if you didn't want to scare yeah. them off and they were like, oh, I don't touch stuff like that, easily yeah. you could do that and they would be like, yeah. oh, okay. And, and yeah. I think the cool thing about Salmiana though is that, you know, you get a lot of that that vegetal, green, earthy, like it's super crisp. Um, and I think that's why, you know, a lot of people call Salmiana Maguey Verde. Yeah. You know, because it is a, it is that, it is that, that green, vegetal, bell peppery type of, of flavor profile. Um, so that's coming out. Um, it won't be in, it won't be, uh, we'll probably do about 1500 bottles this year. So very small production. Um, we're just going to test the market, see what people uh, think of it. Uh, it'll likely be sold exclusively through our website and maybe a few key accounts. That and really a special bottle, a uh, very special bottle, which we um, might not do ever again, just for like the beginning lot. It'll might just be a one time, a one time release, and then beyond the mescal, um, we are really excited. We are moving to a new distillery here in the next couple months with the same family uh, with Alvaro Montes. A uh, new state-of-the-art facility in Amatitan, about 10 minutes down the road from our current distillery. Uh, we will be one of three brands to begin, and the distillery will be capped at four brands in total. Uh, we're super excited to be there um, <clears throat> for a number of reasons. One, uh, a lot of our consumables, all of our consumables will be on property, so it'll allow us to reach our, our consumers faster. Um, but also it'll allow us just to streamline the process and really make sure that everything is is dialed in and and keyed in there's two things that i think uh we're focused on one is scalability without losing quality that's certainly going to be afforded to us at this new distillery we will have not one 
but two 32-ton brick ovens that was actually built uh, by the great-grandson of the person that originally built our original oven, built in 1911, down to the exact brick count. We will now have two of those, so we will be, be able to bake uh, 64 tons of agave at any one time. Um, and the most exciting thing that we are looking forward to is we were stainless steel through and through, twice distilled over five tanks. We're now doing uh, finished in copper pot, uh, twice distilled over five tanks, but the fifth tank being copper pot. We're super excited to see where that takes our Blanco and where that moves uh, our Blanco into our aged expressions. And then we just have a lot of stuff that we're working on beyond that. Uh, we're going to do a limited release uh, Hoban probably somewhere in the 390 to 650 range in terms of bottle production. Uh, I don't want to release what the breakdown of expressions will be in there, um, but we've ideated and we've played around a lot in our home lab. And uh, I think we've found a sweet spot that I think not only the consumer, but the, the market will will really enjoy. And then Beyond that, looking a year or two down the road, we're really excited to start welcoming people to our new distillery for experiential visits. Um, there's a lot of things in the pipeline uh, beyond just tequila production that are going to be taking place on property. Um, you know, we would love to have people like yourself and your partner come down uh, and just immerse themselves in what it is to, you know, be cabal and produce cabal tequila. Um, at the end of the day, you know, for us, it's all about just including people that really care. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your walk of life is. I don't care what your background is. I don't care if you've never tried tequila before. Um, we want to welcome you into our community because even if you don't like tequila, you might like tequila. You might never like tequila, but there will always be commonality amongst community. Um, and so, you know, day by day, step by step, we're just trying to put our best foot forward. Um, like anything else that's great in life comes with a ton of challenges. Uh, this bottle just doesn't show up at your doorstep. If you order it direct from our website or at your local liquor store by snapping, you know, your fingers, a lot goes into it. A lot of stuff behind the scenes that we never publicize or talk about because that's not what it's all about. What all, what it's all about is, is bringing a beautiful spirit to people that want to share it with great company. Um, and you let us handle the chaos that's going on behind the scenes and just make sure that you're doing your research and finding good tequila to drink and finding even better people to drink that tequila with. Yeah, you nailed it. I couldn't say it any better myself. Um, where can folks find you guys? I know you guys are really active on social. Um, I know you have now a direct to consumer, um, path, uh, for bottles. So how do people interact with and, and purchase? So you can buy our tequila direct from tequilacabal.com. Uh, we ship to 48 states directly. Um, that's the easiest way if you are not one of the fortunate states that currently uh, carry our tequila and brick and mortar locations. We're currently all over Southern California. We're in Arizona. We're in every total wine in Arizona. We're in every total wine in Texas. We're in uh, three total wines in the greater New Orleans area and Louisiana. Um, and we have presence in Louisiana beyond total wine. And then we are in all over the state of Florida uh, from north to south. We will be shipping 
Tequila to Arkansas here probably next week to open that market. Uh, makes sense for us just because we kind of have Louisiana and Texas figured out. Um, and they've actually shown a lot of interest in, in agave spirits. Uh, certain key yeah. locations, they've really, we weren't, we didn't have it really planned and they kind of reached out in ways that kind of surprised us uh, enthusiastically. And we're like, you know what, anyone that's enthusiastic about their market for tequila as that, you know, um, let's, let's do it. I think the, the, the beautiful thing about a place like uh, Oklahoma and Arkansas is that, you know, not to, not to put those states down, but they don't have necessarily the access to some of the agave spirits that like a California or Texas does by way of importation, right? You're talking about, you got to cross this over the Mexican border. So typically those states closest to those imports get the best agave spirits. Now, and that's not to say that they don't care about their agave spirits, but a place like Oklahoma and Arkansas, although wasn't on our radar, um, really gives us an opportunity for, you know, if you're a business person, early mover advantage, right? They do have good agave spirits there, but they don't have the gamut like a Los Angeles or a New York City or uh, Austin, Texas, or, you know, a Miami does to some of these agave spirits that, you know, you go into a bar or uh, a liquor store and you're like overwhelmed by like all this optionality. You know, an opportunity to present an artisanal spirit to a state that might not necessarily have 250 bottles of tequila of different brands available. Um, it's starting to allow us to share the story. And obviously, at the end of the day, our bottles in the shape of a horse head. So equestrian communities like Arkansas and, you know, Oklahoma and Texas, it does make sense because at the end of the day, a lot of people are. Um, gravitate towards the bottle but then the juice is what is what brings and, them back and then beyond that yeah. beyond that we're uh you'll see us in michigan and washington uh real soon here in the next probably couple months uh hopefully las vegas uh, i'm taking a trip out to tennessee meeting with the distributor in may in nashville i think nashville would be a great community for us um but slowly but surely we're just growing at a pace that's comfortable for us um, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning of this, we are a small team, uh, but we pack a mighty punch, but we want that punch to all hit at once. So, you know, we don't try and spread ourselves too thin. Uh, it's really important that when we open new markets, we can really focus our energy on that. Um, the last thing we want to do is, you know, have people buy our product that is in the wholesale space and have it collect dust and, and not have the support that, you know, this brand really deserves because at the end of the day, um, I think what, what separates us beyond our product is, is our story is, is quite special. Uh, how the team came together, what Cabal represents, what it represents to E, his family, everything that encompasses it. And like I mentioned at the beginning before E jumped on, millennials and Gen Z, they want to do their research. They want to know what they're consuming. They're all about the experience. And we want to bring the experience to you. Also, another thing, we're working on a special experience-oriented package for the Extra Añejo. Uh, and what I mean experience-oriented, that means we're working with an award-winning packaging designer um, and really making a point of every point of contact with the package, the bottle, and the reveal. Um, 
so we're we're pretty excited about that and hopefully you know down the line we're going to be doing more um, barrel releases with certain people um i want to do a barrel there's a greenbriars distillery uh greenbriars makes some cool rye and some a lot of really good distillates uh they actually went to lmu which where i went to we're going to do some barrel programs and we're going to offer them as um, entrepreneurship grants for lmu um so kind of working ways like that i think also in directions of of kind of giving back in the best way and incentivizing what we feel is valuable um you know by means of tequila that's awesome. I saw some of the prototyping on that. I know it's not final, but it's going to be really special packaging. Um, tequila Cabal on Instagram. So that's uh, Tequila, C-A-B-A-L. How about you guys? Um, do you guys also uh, engage on Instagram as well? Yeah, my my personals, uh, probably everybody will butcher this as they type it in, Dustin Schweitzer underscore. Uh, we love to connect with anybody that wants to send us a DM. Um, you know, we try and respond to as many people as possible. Um, I love to just engage. It's been fun just talking to people from all over the world. It's crazy that I get DMs from someone in Australia, like, Hey, can you send on your bottle to Adelaide, Australia? And I'm like, if I could, I would literally drop it in the mail to you right now. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully we can reach more people, you know, as time goes on and that's the plan. Uh, he, uh, Everardo is Don, D-O-N underscore Everardo, E-V-E-R-A-R-D-O. Um, and then at Tequila Cabal, uh, send us messages. Um, if you're listening and you own a business or have a party or corporate, we love doing virtual tastings. Um, hit us up. We love to engage. We love to share the story. Uh, even if it's just, you know, sharing a story about, you know, how you got into tequila, let us know. We're happy to connect. All the social stuff is super well curated. I think it's interesting. It's not your sort of run of the mill, you know, um, spirits, you know, account. So um, check it out, follow, engage. Guys, this is awesome. I had so much fun, you know, getting to know more about the two of you, getting to know about what your vision for um, Cabal is going forward. And then quite frankly, what's in store, um, not only for you individually, um, but for the brand as a whole. So um, I think there's going to be a lot of noise made around Tequila Cabal yeah. moving forward. And uh, I hope that we can all come together maybe in a couple months time when there's some new things that we might have to talk about. Um, and until then, thank you guys thank so much. Salute. Salute, salute. Have a great night. Thanks so much. All right, so we're back. Uh, that was a really fun long range sort of really deep dive conversation with the uh the folks at tequila cabal uh everado and and dustin matt what did you think man i mean it was really cool to hear their their vision what they're hoping to accomplish the way that they're doing things which i think is important to them um but also sort of uh you know the tequila industry you know writ large yeah no i thought it was very cool we've gotten a lot of i think really good feedback on the episodes where we've done a deep dive into some of the boozy stuff you know that uh joins our hobby. And I remember how much I personally learned having Jason K, um, you know, early on in this process. So, you know, I guess it would have been probably late spring last year and my eyes were open so much on, you know, the agave spirit world and what's important there in terms of sustainability and quality. So it was a good conversation. I liked it a lot and I'm looking forward to trying this. I'm sorry I missed the, uh, the recording. Yeah, no, you were there in spirit, but we do have um, the Blanco in front of us. Um, 
the guys mentioned it, I think on the recording, they have, they sent us over the ancestral edition, um, in the, uh, in the sort of signature horse head bottle, which is pretty striking. Uh, we talked a lot about what the bottle means to them. Did you see, you've seen this already now. What do you think of this thing? So I've seen it. It is, um, it's definitely going to be a conversation piece. If you have that, you know, yeah. On the, on the bar cart, or if that's, you know, behind the bar, it's cool looking. It's very cool. It's very cool. It stands out. So let's give this a sip together. All right now. So this is, again, this is a Blanco tequila, relatively uh, young tequila. Are we calling this Hoven? What's the term? No, this is just straight um, Blanco. No, no, no. It's not a a blend of anything. And uh, 40%, uh, you know, um, I think that this is something that's approachable, but also still complex enough to really kind of get people's, you know, synapses firing. So the one thing that I noticed right away, this is um, a little toned down on the sweetness. And there's less of the sort of the green kind of, um, I've, yes. I've referred to it as like the uh, the grassy kind of nopales character mm-hmm. that I, I pick up in a lot of the um, the Blanco tequilas that I've tried. That's right. This is, I mean, and I generally like that. It's an interesting thing, like, right? It, it, you know, in terms of the palate, it puts you right kind of in touch with the spirit you're drinking. This has less of that, but in a good way. Like is, this is, to me, is really balanced. If I, if I didn't see the color of this, so obviously for listeners, you can't see this, but this is basically a clear spirit, not probably just a little bit of color relative to something like gin or vodka. And maybe not even that. I don't have a, a white sheet to hold it against. But, you know, I would think um, based on the taste that this is a little bit older and I'm, I don't taste any wood or anything like this and it would in this. No. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's unrested. Yeah. It's just, it's got a nice kind of herbal floral taste without being too green. I agree with you. Um, And I love green. I love the sort of peppery, the white pepper, you know, uh, 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 spice that comes with a, you know, some really, uh, you know, a hotter tequila. This, you know, when I went to visit the guys and I and I, I spent some time with them a couple of days before we recorded, they had another lot with them, and that other lot was a spicier, more maybe a classic blanco profile that you're talking about. This one was softer and sweeter, but no less interesting and no less complex. And I actually thought this was maybe even more approachable to anybody, but even still, somebody who might you know consider themselves sort of a spirits you know focused person. So it's delicious. I really enjoyed it. I hope you did. Yeah, absolutely. It it doesn't on I'm I mean I'm assuming I don't have the bottle in front of me. I don't know the ABV. I'm assuming it's in the low 80s, you know, in yep, terms 40%, of 40%, uh, right? you know, yeah, right yep, on yep. right on the nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it do, it does not taste particularly hot and it is um one of the smoothest Blanco tequilas I've ever had. Yeah. No, I think they got a winner on their hands. I told them that and and uh you know, I think we all discussed it together, but uh great job uh, to tequila cabal. Thanks again for joining us. It was, it was a lot of fun talking with you guys and, and, uh, they've got a lot in store, so we might be hearing from them again in short order. So with that said, Matt, how about some final notes? All right, man. Well, I've got something really unusual. Okay. This is not a book or a movie or a TV series or anything like that. Um, but people who, you know, they follow us, they know we're into kind of spirits and in the foodie side of things. So I've got a foodie kind of recommendation. I think if, um, anybody is aware of me. They know I, I like to do the grilling as much as possible. And I've just been made aware. So I've searched for this. This is like my um, carnivorous white whale 
sort of thing. I've never found anybody who has it prepackaged. But if anybody's ever had, um, and it'll vary depending on where you get it in terms of what they call it. But if you've ever had a rib cap, so this mm-hmm. is basically prime rib cap. So this is the, and again, I was describing this before, folks. Think of if you've never had this, and some of you probably have, but a lot of you probably haven't. If you're looking at a piece of prime rib on your plate or a good ribeye, you know the main part of of that that piece of meat is going to be like the eye part of that, and then you've got like this, you know, the rib. Maybe the rib is attached, maybe not. But along the top of this thing is going to be this little kind of hemisphere of uh, of meat there, and that is just a really nice kind of succulent cut. Well, if you have a good butcher and you're willing to pay the money to do it, right? Because you're going to have to basically take this off of probably seven ribs worth of meat, but they'll take that entire cap off for you. And wow. some restaurants, I've, I've had this um, in Miami at a steakhouse. I've had it once in Chicago in a steakhouse and I've never found it, but your homework folks is find like Snake River Farms because apparently Snake mm-hmm. River Farms now is doing it where you can get that as a, as a package. And obviously that's going to be prime snake, snake river farms is very, you know, uh, reputable packer. Um, so I have heard that they do it. I've seen a picture of it. I'm getting some and you have to as well. If you, if you like red meat, if you like good red wine, uh, and you want to do something really, really decadent, uh, go out and find that and then send us pictures. So that's my final recommendation. I hope you'll give us the follow-up once that, uh, arrives on your doorstep. Oh, for sure. Speaking of which, on the wine on the wine recommendation, a couple of people um, referred to the last episode with Chase um, and loved your guys' wine talk. So maybe we, we'll build that in. You guys did an awesome job with that. My final recommendation, two shows on Netflix that are related and unrelated all at the same time. And, and almost feels like a guilty pleasure to say this, but I'm just going to come out and say that they've just been really interesting shows to watch. Tinder Swindler, uh, which if you're unfamiliar, is sort of this mini series, you know, it's not a full, you know, 10 or 12 episode, maybe something like four or five episodes, something like that. This mini series on this, basically a, a, a con, a con artist, sort of a fraud and how he uses Tinder, Tinder to, to sort of, you know, carry out his, 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 uh, his, his cons. Um, and also another one called bad vegan, which is an interesting story about a, a New York restaurateur. Uh, who sort of got caught up in some crazy stuff again with a grifter and a con artist. Both of them are kind of guilty pleasures, kind of mini series, both eminently interesting. And you just think to yourself, how do people get caught up in this in this stuff? Uh, but you almost watch- said it. I heard you. I know. I almost did. We have an explicit lyric on here. I don't we really do. We know do. Why you, I can, care. you can. You can say it. <laughs> um, how do they get caught up in this shit? But. The watch spotting is is interesting, and and you, it's kind of the usual suspects you'd expect, and and uh, um, just you know how it kind of makes its way into sort of a, a mainstream story is is quite fascinating. Oh, right on. Yeah, no, I've seen the ads for that the um, the first one anyway, right? Yeah. And then also, I think there's the one about the the phony European socialite. Um, yes, that's, it, yeah. this is like some kind of golden age for con artist and grifter like miniseries, I guess. But I'll tell you, man, they're good. They're interesting. So that's yeah, what I got. I, it's not really a last recommendation for me because I'm sure everybody and their brother has seen it. But I just finally started watching Yellowstone. Oh, okay, I actually have not, and it's on my short list. Is it worth? It's it's obviously worth it's, it. It's it's yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty right. good. All right, yeah, I'm putting it on sure. my list then too. I, I'm going to take your both of your recommendations. Sweet. All right, brother. Well, hey, what do you say? Should we uh, wrap this up? 
That's it, man. Salute. Salute. Thanks for the, uh, the good booze, bro. Thanks for joining.